Welcome to Dancing with Gravity, my podcast into the life of a juggler. My name is Cyril Rabat, I'm your host, and I'm French. I've been a professional juggler for the past 25 years, and this is episode number 18. In this episode, I am talking with Ronnie Stein. He's a master karate shifu sensei a musician, an actor. We met not long ago and just went talking for three hours nonstop about our experiences as accomplished uh, master of one craft. And um, I just thought you shouldn't hear that. So here it is. Like we sit here and talk and shit, huh? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's exactly. That's, that is pretty cool. That's exactly what I like to do. So well, I just pressed uh, record right now. <laughs> so we're going. <laughs> we're live. Uh, yeah, we're live, man. So, yeah, so that's what I like to do. Like just mm. talk. Um, so it's informal. Uh, we're having okay. a discussion. Uh, we we connected not long ago, and. Um, I don't know. We started talking about so many things: uh, mm. music, uh, martial arts, life, teaching, yeah. being yourself a student of life, mm. going through ups and downs. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is so rich. Mm. I just want to, you know, record it and put it out there. Cool. Really cool. Yeah. By the way, man, I'm, I got to say, I'm digging your crazy hair, man. Yeah. You kind of look like Einstein, man. I love it. You get the Einstein look. I yeah. was like you a year ago. Bald like Bald. me? <laughs> yeah. I, I got, I was like, I don't want any hairs anymore. So I just shaved like bald. And so uh-huh. I was like shaving every uh-huh. two days to like keep it completely bald. My <laughs> wife hated, uh, my everybody hated. So I, I loved it because I thought, wow, this is so easy. I, I, I'll, I'll take that as an indirect compliment. Yeah. Because <laughs> you look good. Bald. Hey, luckily, you know? luckily, I mean, luckily there are some dudes like, like have, you know, they shave their head and they're to reveal like this gigantic, like crazy ass square head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think you know, my hair is not so bad. It's just, they hated it. Like they were like, oh. you, you, you're supposed to have hair and no, when you look at me, right. I'm supposed to have hair. This right. is the thing you see. I can't do that. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. It's no, just, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I have like crazy hair. You got crazy hair, dude. You've got so. like you got like lion hair coming out of your head. Yeah. I mean, it's all it's every direction. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. So what happened is that a year ago I stopped shaving and I didn't cut them for a year, and that's what happens. Wait, that's interesting. Now, yeah. Why'd you do that? You didn't cut your hair for a year. You didn't sh- you didn't shave your beard or cut your hair for a year. No beard, yeah, because oh, beard, beard would be like way bigger, but mm. not the hairs. And uh, I do that because I want them long again. And I'm like, if I go get a haircut every two months to make it look good, yeah. it's gonna take me ten years to grow them. So I'm like, I'm yeah. not gonna touch them, and I'm just gonna let them grow. So for the past year, I've been looking uh-huh. like fucking weird and crazy. But now it's but, starting to be okay. But that's your brand. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know what? I don't. 
You know, everybody's like, oh, you need to look good. This is your, you know. I am the French genius yeah, who exactly. can juggle. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, who cares? Listen, man, if I saw you from like five blocks down the street, I would know it's you now. Like, <laughs> that's, that's zero, like, for yeah. sure. Yeah, man. That's cool, man. So, Ronnie. Yeah. You're like, you've been doing a lot of things in your life. Hmm. You, you've been through like success. Mm-hmm. Have you been through success? Well, it depends on how you define success, you know. Have how I do had, you have I had money? Yeah, I made success. money. Well, you're asking a you're asking me what success is. I mean, yeah. you know, if if you know, if we were poor, me and that's a relative term. Like if we were if we were out on the street living in a cardboard box, but we were completely happy living there. Right. In a way, it would be mentally ill to live in a cardboard box in the city of Chicago. But let's say that, you know, we could do it and everything was, you know, and all the needs of your life were fulfilled. Uh-huh. And you woke up every day feeling great, looking forward to whatever you did that day. And then you'd go home to your cardboard box at night. And if you were happy, let's say that you were alone. If you were happy being by yourself, mm-hmm. then you're not going to feel lonely, mm-hmm. you know. Then you could call yourself successful, I guess, but it's a relative term. You right. Know? I have, you know, I've worked around some of the wealthiest people in the United States, mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of unhappiness among them. Mm-hmm. You know, so success um, is relative. I mean, it's so cliche. All this, you know, this kind of thing is so cliche. You say, you know, know, money doesn't make you happy, but. The truth is, I, for me, the truth is money can very much help you to be to, to find happiness. Uh-huh. You need it. It's a tool. Yeah. And if you don't have it, you know, you're going to be spending most of your time, uh, you know, trying to survive yeah. for your basic needs rather than spending, you know, your time pushing the envelope in what you think is really important to you in life. So mm-hmm. in the case of your, you know, like your case or my case, you know, working on your skill or your passion you need, you know, mo- you need to be rewarded for that so that you can be free to work mm-hmm. on that thing more. So you need money for that, you know, mm-hmm. at the minimum, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all, as long you know, if your basic needs are met, food, shelter, you know, that kind of thing. Um, that's enough for you? Um, that's not enough for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I need, I just, I like too many things. That's the, you know, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I love, you know, I came here from 35 miles away on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. you know, you know, ripping through traffic. Yeah, you know, I don't advocate other people doing that, but for me, that's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, well, um, I mean, everybody is in France. Is that right? Oh yeah, it's just it's just an unspoken rule. Like you're driving a motorcycle or a scooter or whatever, you that. just zigzag between cars. I mean, for me, that's why you're actually driving a motorcycle. <laughs> and when I came in the U.S. and I see all those dudes on big Harley and they're just staying in line, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Hey, man like you, you have a, f- you know, you have a vehicle that allow you to like zigzag between cars. Why aren't you doing it? And so we had a scooter when I was just, we spent like six months in, in, in Chicago, like uh-huh. six years ago. And I bought a very tiny Honda f- scooter from the 70s, mm. uh, way too small for me. And mm. I would go on it with my wife. Those things are fast, right? No. Nah. No, that, that wasn't was, fast? That was like max 25 miles an hour. Dude, that's slow. Yes. But downtown Chicago, mm. when there's traffic, I would just skip everybody. And right. Uh, my wife was telling me, like, you're not supposed to do that. And people would, like, look weird at me. And I was like, why else would I have 
would I be on a scooter if it wasn't, you know, to just screw all of you yeah. <laughs> and, and get then, faster? Sure. And then you can, you know, you can park anywhere you want. I used yeah. to live. In, I used to live in Tokyo. In Tokyo, at the time that I lived there, you could park your scooter on the sidewalk. Actually, on uh-huh. the sidewalk, uh-huh. so there was never a moment where you had to look for parking in right. Tokyo. Right. I had two motorcycles. I had a big one. I had like a had like a Honda uh, 750 Saber. It was called. It was this huge black motorcycle. It was so when awesome. When was that? Eighty, late eighties, early nineties, uh-huh. early nineties. And I and then I had a Yamaha Super Champ. Cool. And that thing could go like 45 miles an hour. So, yeah. and it got like 50, 60 miles to the gallon, and you didn't have to change the oil in it or anything. I mean, the thing was great. Yeah. The thing was great. Yeah. I remember when I left, I gave it to somebody. I, just, I gave the motorcycle to my girlfriend, uh, my Japanese girlfriend, when I left, and I gave uh, the scooter to some friend of mine from New Zealand or something like that. Cool. You know? But it's just cool to have in a place like Tokyo. Yeah. But I understand what you're saying exactly. It's right. Like, I mean, you got a scooter in the in an urban environment, and there's a thousand cars around you. The guy with the scooter just gets right there. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it's made for. You know, when we meet at Soho House, you know, there's no parking down there at all. Uh-huh. But with a motorcycle, I park in front of the front door for free. Right, you know? right. I, that's the easiest way to get yeah. there. You know, but you can't do it in the winter. You can do it in the summer. In right. So. so you like that. You well, like good stuff, so like a nice motorcycle. Yeah, I just, I like it. I like, um, you know, all of the, um, I just think, my early on I thought, you know, when I started to um, reach a certain level of skill in the thing that I was pursuing, which was karate at the mm-hmm. time when I was a teenager, and, um, and music, karate mm-hmm. and music were the two big things in my life. And uh, I, I just thought, well, how, f- you know, what else do I really want to do? What else have I always enjoyed? And these things require money. Like, for example, aviation. I always wanted to fly. You mm. know? I wanted to major in aviation in college and I didn't have money. And it was, I thought, at the time, I thought it was too difficult to try to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. But later on, when I made money, you know, in my business of teaching karate in, in Chicago's North Shore for years, um, I became a pilot because I could afford to do mm-hmm. it finally, you know. But I didn't become a pilot because I thought, yeah, I, you know, because I saw someone else flying a plane, you know, mm-hmm. thought, hey, I should do that, too. I was just it was just a it was just drawn to it. And I was mm-hmm. always drawn to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything that I do, I try to do the things that I think fit naturally with me in, in, in my life. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I was trying to be a stockbroker. Not that there isn't a relationship in some w- uh, weird, cool way between, you know, understanding the markets and karate, for example. Mm-hmm. Maybe there is. I don't know. But. I'm just trying to think of something foreign to me, you know. Yeah. I, I didn't yeah. become a, a, you know, a professional basketball player or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, I just something, try. Yeah, I mean, th- it needs to speak to you. Yeah, exactly, and it yeah. needs to feel right, you know, and be aligned with me. And for yeah. some reason, flying has always, you know, may, maybe it's um, some people are sort of wired for like high speed endeavors. Uh-huh. If you look at karate, it's a high speed right. thing. It's motorcycle. motorcycle. I was a bicycle racer before that. That's a pretty high speed activity, uh-huh. you know. Um, you know, just things that require skill. I don't know. I, I was a gymnast for a while. I uh, <laughs> wow. I, ju- I can juggle three tennis balls. That's about. <laughs> that's the but but I liked it. You know, but I could understand it. it was like this is this. I thought it was great for karate. You know, uh-huh. for me to to juggle. I thought it was a great training device. Um, and uh, so all these things are sort of related. You know, and I've also chosen things that you um, that I noticed along the way that I was choosing things that you never have to really stop doing. You know, mm. I see a lot of professional athletes. I've, ta- I've trained a lot of professional athletes, children, and, and their children, 
in karate over the years. And you, you watch these guys, they've been through such uh, stressful, you know, training regimens and, and the um, professional life of a athlete is pretty hardcore yeah. in, in a way, actually. And, uh, and after their career is over, they don't, you don't really see them working out too much. Some do, but you know, mm. you know, they you just, just kind of, yeah, they, out. they equate training with pain. Mm-hmm. And after their professional career is over, they don't train anymore really because they just feel like, yeah, oh, why should I, you know, that doesn't, it, you know, there's not a, yeah, you know, that I've been noticing that for myself recently because, mm-hmm. uh, Two weeks ago, I performed at TEDx here in Chicago, and mm, I was... That's right, you mentioned that. Yeah, I, w- I was really pushing myself for that one gig. <coughs> and yeah, what was that like? I mean, what, what can you... What, what was it? Did somebody approach you on that, or did you think, hey, there's a TEDx thing going on yeah, here, and I want to be a part Soho, of it? Soho, I, I got in touch with the people organizing the TEDx... From Soho? From Soho. How'd you do that? They just put out, they put out a... a no, I, I, I met, met someone that uh, was like, okay, we're going to work on this project. Wow. And then via this project, I met someone else. And this someone else was like, oh, you're a juggler. Hey, I know the person, that, uh, blah, blah, blah. So it's like really connections, you know? And it happened kind of like... So Soho uh, was good to you, huh? That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, that really came and... Then uh, I did apply for that because they're you know they're pretty big so so they're taking applications and then looking like okay who's who's gonna uh, fit the most with their the theme of the year and the other I see, speakers yeah. and performers they want to invite right. and then they create some sort of group that makes sense and then they were like okay you're gonna be part of it did they interview you for that uh, gig. Yeah, I I I, ta- I went to to meet with them. Did they say juggle? Show us that you're for real. Juggle, <laughs> juggle for us right now. I'm here, gonna here, juggle. Here's a banana, body. a chainsaw, and a bowling ball. <laughs> juggle. <laughs> if you juggle, we will let you on the stage. And then it happened, you know. So but cool. my my point is, uh, after that gig, yeah. so since it's been two weeks now, yeah. I decided I'm going to take a break and yeah. I'm going to give myself some space. And it doesn't mean I can't juggle, but I just want to do it when I feel like it, and yeah. I want to do it in a way that's fulfilling again, yeah. not like I have to do it because it's my job, because I have to maintain my level, because I I need to keep being better. And I think that mindset is really the mindset of uh, athletes where they're like, you can't skip your training. If you do, you you lose the edge, like you lose your edge, you you lose your competitive advantage, Mm. and then you you can compete at your best. And that pressure, I've been... uh, in this mentality for 25 years and I'm actually realizing that it's really hard for me to go to the gym and practice in another mindset where I'm actually paying attention to what my body's telling me and I'm able to like have another picture in my mind of like what is the outcome it's just I, I train my brain for 25 years to push myself to the edge mm. and always be better. Mm. And how, it, it's a huge habit to break, you well, know? <laughs> so I understand, you know, some of yeah. the athletes that cannot switch that in their brain. So they're just going to give up all, all together and be like, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to forget about that. 
part of the, like the training, my body yeah. and all that, you know? You know, I, I always wanted to do some writing and I, and I'm slowly working on that now, yeah. and I, I, but I've wanted to do it for a long time. When I lived in Japan, I, I wanted to write a book from Japan and, and I was found myself in touch with this uh, successful Japanese writer, this uh-huh. old guy. He'd been writing all his life and I asked him for some advice and he, he said, the most important thing is to do it right now. Mm-hmm. And he's, and I said, why? And he goes, because the reason is you're you're not going to feel the same way about it later. Mm. You know, you're not, and you're not going to be the same person later. So you may be able to still write what you're thinking, what you're feeling right now about the, you know, what it is you need to, you know, what your goal is in writing this thing. But most likely you're going to be in a different place. Wow. So you're going to write about it in a different way. Or you may not feel or, like or doing you, it at all. Oh. I mean, maybe you just... So here you are. You're not the same person you were 25 mm-hmm. years ago. You had this entire 25-year journey. And all of the life experiences and the stories and the ups and the downs and the people that you met and the disappointments and the incredible successes and the, um, the envelope that you pushed beyond and the, you know, the personal satisfaction you got um, and the personal achievement that you got from, um, from pushing your art you know, pretty, pretty, pretty damn far, right? Mm-hmm. From what I, I don't know you that well, man, but I, from what I, what you've said and what uh, Kelly, I think, said mm-hmm. is that, you know, you have, uh, you're, you're one of the few jugglers that can do, you know, that can juggle uh, something amazing. I don't know, what is it, 10, like 10? <laughs> ten, 10 balls. I mean, that's yeah, pretty no, I mean, freaking I, amazing, you know, so. My goal was to become the better version of myself. Well, And when you great. push that envelope, for 25 years while well, you right. do become pretty good right you know the thing is let's talk about that i mean people say you know be the best person you can be you know, and and again these cliches they pop up all the time on podcasts and they pop up all the time on talk shows and and they exist because they're you know the reason why people repeat them is because they've been proven again mm-hmm. and again and again but i think a lot of times uh well i mean i think people just don't realize what it takes to be your best because sometimes being your best means to make a decision that is incredibly scary. It Um, sucks actually. (laughs) Being your best sucks because it's uncomfortable. You have to, I mean, to grow, you have to be uncomfortable. You know, growing is not a comfortable path. So you're pushing yourself every day. I mean, that that was my... Thing, you know, like pushing myself yeah. every day yeah. means being uncomfortable. So yeah. it was like, how do I get comfortable with discomfort? <laughs> you ain't never going to be comfortable. Exactly. With That's why it's called discomfort. I mean, the thing is, I always felt like, so I saw people in karate that were like smashing their hands into trees. I mean, for real, like in Japan, these people would mutilate their hands and uh, because they were, you, they thought of their hands as a the hand itself is a weapon, but yeah. really, you know, they may or may not be effective in karate, those people. But the fact is, is that if the hand itself can't defend you, you can't win against an opponent with mutilated hands or hands that are made out of steel. Let's say your hand was a giant razor blade. That doesn't mean you'd be able to wield it correctly against an opponent. Mm. It's your mind. It's distance and timing that are more important. In other words, Mm. there are other things other than what people focused on. Sometimes people focus on the wrong thing and then Mm. they work their ass off at it. And 20 years later, they're still doing the wrong thing. And you see that in instruction, poor instruction all the time. I've seen that in karate instruction all the time, all over the world. It's the same with juggling then. Is it? 
exactly the, exactly the same thing. So that's very interesting because I want you to talk more about that, like uh, your philosophy as a teacher. Right. Well, let me let me just uh, sure we can do that. Let me let me just mention one more thing about this discomfort thing. So it's like. I found that sometimes, every once in a while, you make a... Like when I'm working in music and I'm working on something in music, I used to pound this thing again and again. Like, it depends on what instrument I was playing, but I'd go and it'd be something really difficult that I wanted to memorize. Right. And it would just, you know, when I was younger, I would push myself super hard to get it memorized as fast as yeah. I possible. You know, that kind of thing. But then you're just banging your head against the wall. And sometimes when you simply relax and just do it again without emotion, and I learned to... to um, approach repetition training with less emotion absolutely and more of just being in the moment okay just do it again oh that was wrong so do it again and you take out all of the um you know the the thoughts that uh, i used to think when i was younger like ah shit that's not right so oh can we square swear on this thing or yeah we, okay cool. so it's like you know i just screwed up we'll do it again ah man no good. You know, you'd, you'd be pushing yourself really hard as if it was a parental voice yeah. that was over you saying, you're terrible. Yeah. Do it again. It's your ego. Right. It's your ego. You know, and sometimes it worked. You know, when you're younger, maybe that's okay. But when you're older, what's part of the self-mastery thing is to, is to, is to separate those things that are not important yeah. from your, your, your moment of focus. Yeah. Moment of focus, which, which is your goal. Uh, it was, am I talking too loud? No, 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 no. It's good. My computer sometimes goes on sleep, so I just do something to like wake it up because uh, I want to see what's happening. Do you see like sound waves and stuff going? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's and the cool. time and everything. Oh, I'm cool. just con- making sure I'm actually recording because <laughs> you know it <laughs> happened to me at the beginning. Oh, that's so we do the thing, and then I did, oh, it wasn't recording. Oh, I'm not a pro in this, so I just want to make sure I'm not well, fucking it up. How many? How many uh, people have you uh, talked to on this thing? Ah. Uh, you're the third one right now. Three, number Boom. three, and I have cool. uh, another guest coming next week. And mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the time, I talk just alone. You know, like I'm mm-hmm. crazy person talking to myself. So instead, what, of what, so what's that like? Like, I mean, you you talk. I, I understand what that's like because yeah. from acting, you know, you you'll spend a lot of time, especially on a monologue, talking. Yeah, but. But if you, but knowing that you're going to then release that into the public, yeah, it's interesting because do people? I mean, do people react to it? Do people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do they really? Yeah. Where, 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 where are you at? How can I hear this podcast? Well, everywhere, Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever, all those stuff. So you're going to make me famous? Yeah, you bet. We're, we're like right now. Uh-huh. We're creating our fame forever. This is going to be heard like billions of times, like I think probably 50 <laughs> billion times. <laughs> and no, but what, no pressure. No, nah, man. I, the thing is, actually, what I'm thinking is just. It came from like talking to my wife about mm. all those crazy ideas that I have in my head mm. and then. I was driving her crazy because she's like, I can't hear you anymore. You know, it's like, it's too much. It's like (laughs) being, I mean, I'm not a genius, but like, Mm. I I just have those thoughts about, you know, it's like when you go for a walk in the forest Mm -hmm. by yourself Mm -hmm. and you walk for like two hours, you start. I haven't done that in a long time. I would love to do that, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. And 
I don't know if you... When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you walked in the forest for two hours? Not two hours, but actually last week I got to uh, record a... I was invited on another podcast and I took the train. Uh, it's like in the suburb in the north of Chicago. Mm. And, and then from the train to the recording studio was like a 40-minute walk through a forest. And that was like... It's awesome. Where so was, cool. Where was this? Uh, you remember? No, I have to look on my phone. Where was it by the lake? What did you take the metro? Yeah, I took the metro, but it was not exactly by the lake. It was like northwest. Oh, and then I was, okay. ca- and it was beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful out there. Yeah, for sure. and I was like, shit, I I've been here for a few years, and I I've never gotten out there. And yeah. so, what I'm want to say is like when you walk. Mm. It, there's a natural process that you start thinking and you have more space to think like all the philosophers mm. uh, from like the 18th, 19th century, mm. they were actually walking for hours by themselves mm. and then they would come back and write. Right. And that's how all the philosophy, the intellectuals, mm. that's how they, they, they did it. Mm-hmm. They had some space by themselves and the process of like walking activates some sort of like thought process where you have uh when you when i juggle it's the same yeah same thing sure because i'm i'm not walking but i'm moving my arms in a rhythm it which is kind of the same than if i was walking and i'm by myself for like four five six hours Mm. i don't talk to anyone because i'm looking up i'm focusing in my i'm in my bubble so when i'm doing that i'm actually doing the same thing that philosopher used to do and walk for hours by themselves in the forest and i have all those thoughts and philosophies about juggling and what it does to you and what it does to me and how does it apply to the world and all those different things and at one point i i was getting crazy and my wife crazy to have this that in my head or like talking having just her to talk to mm. so i thought you know what i'm gonna record You're it gonna tell, torture the and the, i'm gonna torture the, the rest world of the world <laughs> so i put it out there and whoever wants to listen to it can yeah. listen to it and for me it's a way to share uh without forcing it on anyone because if you don't want to share I you can just stop right now and yeah. do something else you know yeah I think that's a great idea, actually. I think you, I think you realized that you had a need to express yourself and uh, yeah. all these ideas. And then what you did was you were able to log them. You yeah. know, you, you could record them. And, I mean, because I record musical ideas all the time and video mm-hmm. ideas. I just turn on my phone like, here's a good idea, blah, 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 blah. And then I turn it off, you know. Mm-hmm. And I've got years and years and years of that stuff. Absolutely. And there's a satisfaction knowing that, your thought, your idea, you know, is is saved for you. Exactly. It me. It's like a. F- it's a way of, uh, you know, it's a small confirmation that somebody is listening to you, or something is listening to you. You're being listened to. That the idea has value, and that it's not going anywhere. And you can go back and index it. And you can take a look at it and listen to it again. And there may be a, a creative idea that you'll use in the future from it. That's what yeah. you know. But in your case, it's more of like. There are these there are these thoughts that there's a psychic energy in you that needs to be uh, heard, mm-hmm. and uh, it's not fair to your wife to bombard her with <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally with a bombing run of totally, like ideas, man. and then she's like, help. Yeah, you totally. Know? Because I mean, she's the woman. 
she should be the one talking more than I. I mean, dude. Oh, you're going to get in trouble for that. No, this is the truth. I need to shut up and listen to her. She has way more feelings and thoughts uh-huh. than I do and ideas. And she's so creative. Mm-hmm. And then I'm here like rumbling about my juggling stuff. And she's mm-hmm. like, I can't take it anymore. Yeah. You need to listen to me. Mm-hmm. So well, then, well, so now that's a separate thing too. Like, I mean... If you okay, so for in your case, you're putting, you're placing your ideas in a, in a digital uh, vault, right? So that you can then have a clear mind to relax and listen and, and take in more ideas and be available to for others. More. I see, I see. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a great. I mean, so you know whether you're cycling, doing karate, juggling, running. Casey Neistat, I think, is one of the best filmmakers in America. He's a you know famous YouTube guy, and he's always running. Like running is a huge part of his life. Like mm-hmm. he cannot, he believes that without running, he wouldn't be, you know, be able to come up with these creative ideas mm-hmm. for his films and so forth. And I think that it's critical that people have a way of um, placing their mind in a state where it can then relax and open up to these thoughts. And mm-hmm. I think that this, like you said, this repetitive act of juggling or this repetitive act of walking, or I think it, you know, places your mind in another state where something, where there's a, I don't, I don't know exactly enough about the brain's, you know, functionality to, to, to guess like what exactly happens when we do stuff like that. But mm-hmm. you know, you're in the, sh- when I'm in the shower, great ideas come to me mm-hmm. in the shower in the morning. Cause there's a pause. Is that what it is? I, I think, I think so. I think the, the repetitive, repetitive motion of doing the same motion over and over again mm. frees your brain you you get in the zone you mm. you get in a your body your body is doing something mm. and but you're not thinking about what you're doing you don't need to think maybe maybe is it do you think it's like an overthinking or an overconsciousness of a subject that that like creates that sort of writer's block kind of thing that, is that what we're talking about or is it yeah you know, yeah cuz I, I think when What's happening is that when you when you want something, mm-hmm. so you want to write a book, so you sit down and you're in front of a white piece of paper and you're like, okay, I'm going to write my book now. Mm-hmm. And then there's a block because you have to. You're, you're, you're setting yourself up mm. to now you have to do that. And for me, mm. I'm like always resisting when a higher... Uh, authority, authority, maybe. which actually in this case is myself, right. tells me like the right. more playful, creative me. So mm-hmm. maybe like the childish me, mm-hmm. which is like with all those ideas and crazy thoughts. That's me about 100% of the time anyway. Right. But, but go on. And so the higher authority of like the adult me, which mm-hmm. is like, no, now you're going to sit down and write this book. Right. And then... Th- it's it's uh, fr- I'm, I'm frozen, you know. I'm like, yeah. uh, uh, what's supposed to come out of that? But sure. when I'm doing something, the higher like authority is like, oh, you're already doing something. You're you're productive right now. You're like walking. You're juggling. You're doing something already. So there's no pressure, and suddenly there's space for the right. inner child to come up and be like, hey, what yeah. if we would do that and this and that? I agree with you. All you, the you, good ideas comes to me when I'm walking, right. when, when I'm not doing the right thing. And then, f- thank God, now we have iPhones or whatever where we can record, uh, do like audio memos right. or, or, or write down. And I have like also like you, like hundreds of little notes about, oh, right. 
this, I need to talk about this. I need to do this. I, yeah. I think, I think that secondary, um, um, person or voice or, or part of our ego, it just doesn't need to be there. And when we're, when we're focused on something else, other than the fact that we have to think about something or do something, that that secondary, ex, you know, presence just doesn't doesn't exist. And well, I think it's easy to step s- back. Yeah, it steps back. You know, like you're giving more space to the to the creative part of us. Yeah, it's the same that happens when I meditate. I've been meditating for like a long time, mm. and now I do a lot of uh, clairvoyance. So like seeing with my third eye mm. pictures and energy mm. and always at the beginning there's this like that's freaky sounding stuff whatever kind of yeah man <laughs> it's not only freaky it's true and powerful oh, yeah? man oh my god okay it's we're like, gonna talk about that in a second we got okay so i've got i've got a bunch of topics here backed <laughs> up here but but like you know there's more than one you know through the study of martial arts you know you you, you can't study i mean when you if you get deep enough into martial arts um there's different ways to study martial arts, right? There's yeah. a sport aspect. There's a, there's you know so, but, but there's a but spiritual there's aspect. a spiritual yeah. aspect, and so if you're, you know, the mind is is can you know is just as important as anything else in a in a fight, maybe more important. Absolutely. Basically, yeah, basically seventy seventy percent. The old samurai used to say that seventy percent is your head and thirty percent is the technique. You know, ken wow. three. They used to say ken three zen seven in in uh, kendo in, in Japanese sword fighting. Wow. Which meant that, you know, Ken means the technique or the sword is 30%. 30, interestingly enough, not 50, not 60, right. not 70, 30. 30. And it's Zen really refers to the mind. Yeah. 70%, yeah. 70%, which makes a lot of sense. And again, not to go off in that direction. Yet, no, 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 yet, please yet, do. It's yet, awesome. But, but it's just like... Um, but there's a, uh, there's a technique of... There's a study of acting so called... Do you practice Zen? I used to. I've done it in Japan under the Zen master, and I thought it was great. Yeah. And I used it's to. It's a really tough discipline. It's well, I can't say that I practice Zen the way it's practiced classically. You uh-huh. know, I don't. You know, live in a you know temple and right. make sure that I wake up when the sun rises and go to bed when the sun sets. That kind of thing, and and dedicate my mind to. Um, uh, you know, studying every detail of a leaf, for example, when I'm sweeping the leaves or something like that. I, mm. I mean, what what they're trying to get across to you is to learn to um, f- focus your mind and zero your mind. And by zeroing your mind, in a way, you you take away that voice that we're talking about this today. Ego. The yeah. ego thing. It's always down to that thing, mm. man. The ego thing is just like... And people who, you know, every time... So it's my opinion that there's more than one way to meditate. That was my point of yeah. bringing this up. And totally one agree. is the mo- so-called moving meditation. Yes. The other, all right, so um, when you're on stage, for example, in your case, when you're, you know, up there with all this pressure on you, but you're juggling these, you know, you're juggling and your mind is in that zone like we were talking about mm. when we were first talking about this stuff. Mm. You know, that to me is a form of meditation. Mm. And people talk about being in the zone and people make a lot of money putting out books about what the zone is and all that. But these are, you know, it's it's something that, that so many people, in so many artists, good artists and good athletes mm-hmm. and good military people who are, you know, flying this plane at, you know, 600 miles an hour mm. in, a, in a gunfight with the enemy or anybody, and, you know, any, anybody who is forced to focus no matter right. what. You know, they understand these things naturally, right? Because, but a, it's a practice. It's a practice, right? Right. Well, so it, you know, you don't get in the zone just by chance. Like it's a dedicated practice. 
Yes. I think, I think that when you, yeah, all right. So then that, that's another direction that we could talk about, which is like, you know, learning as practicing a skill to the point where it isn't conscious anymore. Mm -hmm. Like when I'm playing, it becomes a reflex. Yeah. My, you know, I'm in the middle of a song and somebody next to me says something and I can talk to them when I'm still playing, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just one part of you that is just going, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but there is a, what I was going to say is there's a technique of, uh, in acting, uh, called the Meisner technique. And this guy Meisner thought that actors are, you know, more comfortable and more relaxed when they're doing something on the stage. Mm. And that, and a big part of the training is that uh, that you give the actors an activity to Mm -hmm. do, and then you have them act while there's, because and I think it's for a very similar reason. Like when you're focused on this Absolutely. activity, and you and there's a and you, there's a time pressure on it, so you really have to be focused on mm-hmm. it. You know, then your reactions to the other actor are more natural because mm-hmm. you don't have a, a moment to judge yourself. Right? Do you understand that? And that's yeah. when bad bad acting comes in. It's like yeah. when people think you're, about their acting while they're acting. It's like if you yes. were thinking about your juggling while you were yes. juggling, you you wouldn't be. Yes, it's and, uh, and that's a form of meditation. I think, in a way, it's a form of. Well, do you do you not agree? I think it's a form of placing your mind in a state where, the ego isn't involved. So is that a is that a form of meditation? I guess no, is I what I should a ask trick. you. I think this is a trick. I think this is not meditation. I think mm. this is a trick, to mm. to trick your ego not to be present. Mm. For me, meditation is to, actively recognize your ego, mm. and. Um, gently <laughs> tell it to go away put it in the in its place no because it's mm. i don't think the ego is the enemy i don't think the ego is the thing we should get rid of mm. and that because why do we have an ego well right you know I mean, like there is a reason true, yeah. for us to have an ego mm. that's part of our personality mm. that's what makes us different from one each other mm. that's what is driving us to be better, to uh, develop all this technology that we have today. That's what drove the human race to where we are now. So Mm -hmm. is this right? Is this wrong? I don't care. This is just how it is. We do have an ego. Mm -hmm. Animals don't have this part. You know, like the the ego is what differentiates us. Chimps, maybe. Maybe chimps. Chimps are are some evil dudes, man. (laughs) They're pretty evil. Right. (laughs) They have they, some they, social issues. They know? might, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm not like making a different, but different I know what you're difference no, between uh, humans and, and, and animals. But it's just like, in general, animals are more like just drive by instinct, and they just, no matter which animal you take mm. from three thousand years ago or today, mm. they're basically gonna react the same way. Mm. We human are. Are, are evolving and what is this evolution I think the ego is driving a lot of it and I, so I, I don't mm. think we should get rid of it mm. I just think we should gently know how to put it in its place so when you meditate you're you're meditating with the idea that um, you're trying to so for me it's clearing of the mind I, I don't think ego if I you know try to meditate I think I think what I said before zeroing out the mind so that the mind is is there Mm-hmm. But you're not conscious. You're just in a moment, mm-hmm. you know. And I, but I always thought you could achieve that through action as well. Yeah. But when you're meditating, what are you doing exactly? Are you doing something different than that? Yes. Okay. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm bringing my attention 
to my body, mm. to my space, mm. which is kind of the same than what you're saying about like emptying your mind. Mm. But I'm not focusing on emptying my mind. I'm focusing on being in the present moment. So, and also I'm activating my clairvoyance, which is my capacity to see energy. Mm. So, um, basically it's this like imaginative creative part of us that when you close your eyes and you start dreaming mm -hmm. and you can picture yourself on the top of the Himalayas or you can picture yourself on an island this this is your clairvoyance this is your capacity to create mental image pictures but what's the difference between clairvoyance and imagination none mm. is so why why are you using the word clairvoyance there's something because clairvoyance is seeing energy you know like telepathy is mm. exchanging energy through your mind um can, can you be clairvoyant now can well, you, what do you see like do you see the energy in the room yeah totally oh, that's interesting. i just need to like focus on it and then i see the energy and i can then mm. change it or impact it or get rid of it or create a new kind of energy so it's the capacity to control the energy around you and and within you hmm. wh which helps setting the tone for whatever you want uh -huh. you know i think i i i uh, that's interesting i think what i'm understanding from you is I, I may term it in a different way this is like when you feel the energy of a room when you're a performer mm -hmm. when you feel the energy of the audience is that the same thing that you're yeah. saying yeah Okay, because I use the word feel liberally. Like, there's a feeling that a musician has, and if they, you know, they could be a great player, but if you're not yeah. feeling it, there's no feeling. Yeah. The, you know, that kind of thing. So, feeling is empathy, being an empath. Mm. So, when you're an empath, you're feeling energy. Mm. When you're clairvoyant, you're seeing energy. So, when you're feeling, you're not neutral to it, mm. it's impacting you. And when you're right. performing and it's great, mm. the impact is positive. Mm. When you feel like shit, mm. the impact can be negative. Mm -hmm. When you're seeing energy, you're neutral. It's not about positive, negative outcome. It's about. Uh, are you using being the word neutral. seeing? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Are you using the word seeing in a different, as as in per perceiving? Sorry, I just bumped the microphone. Are you using the word seeing as? You're not using the word seeing as visual. Yes, or you are. Yes. So okay, so this is all about your visual. Um, sensitivity to energy. Yeah. Okay. So, so you're not using the word seeing as you, you know, as a way of perceiving the no. energy in the place. You're, because you're perceiving, perceiving is, is a bigger term that includes clairvoyance, empathy. So, feeling energy is perceiving energy. Seeing energy yeah. is perceiving energy. I'm interchanging energy. So the two. Yeah. Perceiving so, is is a big term. So, there's mm -hmm. many way to perceive energy. Mm -hmm. You can hear energy. You can taste energy. You can feel energy. You can see energy. So, there's many way to perceive it. Mm -hmm. I'm really specifically talking about seeing energy. You can see energy. So, like, yeah. how does how does that manifest itself in terms pictures. of pictures? So colors. Yeah. shapes hmm. it's bizarre it is i don't know if i know anyone who's, who's tried to see energy yeah other than the color that you're seeing in a um in a in a, an object or a person in front of you or mm -hmm. the or the feeling that you get it's it's for me it's very it's difficult to just um to separate 
the general feeling that I get. Like I said, I, I use this word feeling. Like I, I know. Can, I can tell someone's your energy, for example, or the, you know, the energy of a room. Or I know. The, you know. Most people right. feel energy, hmm. especially artists. Hmm. We're very sensitive. Right. We have a way to feel. The clairvoyance for me hmm. was a step up from that because when I feel energy, I don't have any control over it. So sometimes I was getting overwhelmed. As, a, as an artist, as a performer, I used to get overwhelmed by the energy in a room or if I go to a show and the energy is not right, mm -hmm. I got just overwhelmed. And I did. And, and uh, the only uh, way to deal with it was to like just numb my body and tune it down mm -hmm. to like protect myself. But did that help but you? Most, uh, to numb? Well, not to numb, but like to, to if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling the anxiety before yeah, a show. it helps me. You, turn, you tune yourself down yes, to get through it, right? But the problem is that, um, the problem with that for me hmm. is that I lose my edge and I lose my capacity, my, my um, tools to like, feel energy when I do that I step away from this intuitive feeling part of me mm -hmm. so I, I I become numb mm -hmm. and I don't want that mm -hmm. so the clairvoyance was a way to get in a place where I can stay neutral it doesn't mean I cannot appreciate it doesn't mean I can learn or grow from uh, from that experience or I cannot be impacted yeah. by the experience but at least if it's negative I can stay neutral to it and right. I can see what what is actually wrong for me right so you lost move me it away on. yeah I mean that's great I don't know but I don't know how like I'm like it's freaky sounding cool stuff you well, know you can learn but I mean like what do you how how is it that clairvoyance as you use the term is less uh, is more controllable than suddenly not feeling the anxiety that you feel before a show like if you walk into right. and you see the audience there's you know. techniques so there's meditation so, techniques to to control to develop your clairvoyance and control that and so you 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 see the energy and then but you do not feel the energy is that what you're training yourself to uh, do do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yes, a, exactly. That's exactly right. So, so you, you, you have to tune down the feeling that you're getting. Yes. From, and and focus more on the visual. Yes. And then and the visual for you is, as I understand what you're telling me, is the color, 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 whether you're seeing pictures, some kind of shapes, movement, symbols. It's many things. How about an example? Like, give me an example. Let's say you, you know, let's say there's a small audience over at Soho, and you're gonna walk over there and do a, do a gig, a 15 minute gig for them or something. Right. Well, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna work the energy of the space and the crowd you. before. Wait. Let me ask you. Oh, okay. So that's interesting to me. So okay, wait, I work. Let me ask you about the TED thing, the TEDx thing. Right. Let's okay. let's let's choose that. So. Two days before, I meditated, and I set the tone, the energy, for in two days. Wait a minute. I think I know what you're telling. You're telling me that you you look ahead. Yeah. And you see yourself in. You're using visualization, yes. but you're calling it clairvoyance. Yes. Because it is. 
Now that's what's interesting here because visualization is something that all great athletes and musicians and artists do it all the time. Or anytime you're under pressure, the military does all the time. These guys go over It's just that being called psychic is weird. It's just that I don't have... Well, that that one's a bigger term. That encompasses all sorts. Clairvoyance is part of being psychic. Dude, I could come back here and tell you amazing (laughs) stories that are pure coincidence, but they're so freaky... That I'm now starting to like. No, think. it's psychic. It's psychic phenomenon. Dude, we should we we could we could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. And just and have people come in and tell you all the, you know. Well, I know uh, about that, man. I've been doing that for ten years now, so I'm convinced. I know that energy exists. It's around. I can see it. I can feel it. But now I can see it and control it. So. It's it, all of this is psychic abilities. It's just that when you say that, people think you're full of shit. Of course, because they're seeing, they're thinking, oh, I can predict the future. I can do this. I can do that. And it's like, no, I don't care about uh, predicting the future. N- not neither for myself or for anyone else. Because the problem with that is, I get in control of your future. Is, is that the music just started on the computer? What? No, why is that? Is that? Does that mean the show's over? No, man. <laughs> I hear the music starting. It's time for a commercial. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, no commercial on my show. Fuck that. I don't want to bore people with fucking commercial. So let me just, let because me, this is because, a very mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. So all the psychic, where you if people go to and they're going to read cards, they're going to read the future, they're going to look in a crystal ball, mm-hmm. or they're going to get in touch with whoever's dead and tell you the future. Right. This is full of shit. Mm-hmm. Why? Not because what they're seeing is wrong. Mm-hmm. They might actually see the future, but how do they see the future? They see the future because they're seeing the energy you're in now mm-hmm. and deducting where you're heading based on who you are now yeah i think the problem with that is that it locks you or the person that you know the client it locks the client in one outcome which then they're not in control of their future so there's no more free will suddenly they're locked and that is karma you're creating (laughs) karma yeah. With the client. Because then it, now if the client fucks up their life, they have someone to turn to to be like, fuck, you told me that it happened or it didn't happen. It's your fault. And then you you lo- people lose their free will. We're all free on this earth. We all have control of our future. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as destiny or mm-hmm. faith or something that is like right from a higher power for you we are free so it's very important to understand that and for me as a psychic and a clairvoyant i know that so when i read people or when i look at energy i look at what's happening now in this instant and maybe based on that i can look within a few hours in a few days or look at the best next step for myself or for a person, but I will not read the future because you can always change your path, your path. You can always choose your path, mm. no matter what people say, no matter who says predict the future. Would you say that part of, um, let's say that on the topic of like being um, a psychic for somebody, you know, not, not that I've ever done anything like that, but I'm... But would you say that part of that is common sense, so-called common sense of 
just reading back to what you're getting from somebody else. Well, and, it's and, and and taking an educated. It's guess. more than that. Hmm. It's more than that. Um, when you're when I'm read like basically what's happening when you're psychic and you're looking at energy, you're in a spiritual realm. So you're like uh, communicating spiritually. Hmm. So you're not communicating through your emotions. That's why I was telling you it's important to read and be neutral. Because if you're not neutral, then it becomes an exchange of emotion. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what I'm talking about is a higher form of communication. So it's not emotional. Mm. It's not intellectual. Mm-hmm. Because it's not analytical. It's not a deduction. It's you're not you're a... trying to stay free of judgment. Yes. And okay. so you step well, into a space of spirituality. And you're communicating from one soul to another. So it's not in, like analytical. It's not like I'm doing, I'm going to think and I'm going to be smart and I'm going to make an educated guess to see who that person is. I'm actually being in communication with that person's soul. And my soul mm-hmm. sees your soul. Mm-hmm. And what I'm going to say is what happens when we're uh, clicking, when mm-hmm. our th- both souls are in sync and click not in sync but like clicking Mm -hmm. what are we communicating and that's what i'm going to tell you so in my if you you're not open and you're in your head and you're like very analytical although when i first received my first psychic reading 10 years ago Mm. i was in that place because i didn't really believe in anything and i was just like hmm i I was open-minded in a sense like okay i'm gonna you're open-minded enough hear, to go to a psychic. Right? Yeah, I was like, okay. I'm going to hear what this person has to say, okay. but I'm really going to be careful and like educated and smart about what they're saying to see if they're just like telling me a bunch of general um, something general about the human being race. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I see myself in that. And when the psychic that read me first was so specific mm-hmm. on like my character my desires, where I'm coming from, and what are my goals, that you, if you put someone else, they, they won't see themselves. So it was not a, I realized, oh, it's not a trick. It's not just a way of talking that makes me believe, oh, this person sees me. No, they actually saw me, hmm. my relation, my specific relationship with my parents, my specific relationship with my children, hmm. m- me being where I was at that time in my life, breaking up like three days before with my ex, like all those fucking crazy things. There was no way because, I mean, I was traveling with the Cirque du Soleil, Mm. arriving in Chicago Mm. the night before. I live in Paris. Mm -hmm. This person had no way to know who I was on that deep of an intimate level. This person was seeing but my they soul. They could perceive that. They could see. They could, they see. could see my soul. So yeah. So you saw somebody with a lot of talent. Then who's someone who could really actually? See. This person was a student. Hmm. It was not even like uh, someone. I mean, he definitely has talent, but he was in the process of learning how to read. It's actually much easier than we thought. We think hmm. much easier than we think. Hmm. It's just that we're locked into an analytical way of seeing life and thinking about life and approaching approaching life and so we don't give ourselves the space to trust that yeah i think so i think there's so many like so many things in life like everything that we've ever done ourselves in life there's always people that have 
not uh, push to themselves to into reality about themselves. I mean, and they've faked it, you mm-hmm. know. So you see a lot of fake psychics. You see a lot of fake jugglers. You see, Unfortunately. A, you see a tremendous amount of fake uh, martial arts instructors. Just terrible, you know. There's no oversight with any of that stuff. Anybody could, anybody could open up a shop and say, and "Guess just what?" Be like, you know, yeah. what? I'm doing that. So, and also the sad part of it is that a lot of people are buying the fake, are you know, like they're oh, yeah, they're falling people. into the lie. They they cannot see. They cannot make an educated choice because they might not know. Or they yeah, might they not be in the place where they're actually seeing the difference. Or they can really see the difference, right? Or they don't do their homework. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, people just go to send their kids to karate instruction simply because, uh, you know, the, the school is in their neighborhood and it's easy to park. Right, right. <laughs> because people will try. And you know, they need an extra two hours to grocery shop and whatever. Yeah. And they need to park the kids somewhere. Right. So, I mean, a lot of people will, you know, just... And that's why I think that's why artists are unusual. A real artist is a person that it's going to look beyond all that and look mm-hmm. at what the quality is, for the exact reason that they're you know knowing knowing themselves enough to know that mm-hmm. that is why they're spending their time doing this particular activity yeah. or something like that. But but when it comes but we're on this topic of psychics, which I didn't uh, expect at all. No, so I, this I, is I something didn't plan about, on talking about that at all. Well, but I didn't know I didn't know this part the side of you. And so, how long have you been doing this? Is like you said, ten years ago. Well, maybe? actually, I've been meditating since I'm twenty years old. Mm. So I've been meditating for like. 19 years now mm. but i've been meditating like a more buddhist mm-hmm. type meditation so yes empty your mind mm-hmm. bring your focus back on your breath mm-hmm. every time you're very important m- your mind wanders and just keep doing that very athletes do it all the time and and we should and everybody should do that it's a very it's it's a it's a great way to like relax Breath- breathing is critical you know for real martial arts absolutely so I've been doing that, uh, you know, meditating f- five, ten minutes a day up to like an hour a day doing that. Mm-hmm. But I was I was really hard with myself in the sense that sitting down for an hour, thinking about nothing and bringing your your, your focus back on your breath all the time is like excruciating. Well, you have to start easy. You have to start with one minute. Yeah, but three minutes even five. when I was getting regular an hour is like it's an hour is a l- I mean if you're a long yeah time. if you're a person who's training and and performing an hour is a long time it's huge it's huge so i was being very regimented and rigid with myself like so i was um uh approaching meditation as like because i everything i do i want to excel at it mm-hmm. it's, a, it's just natural i'm like if I want to do that, if I'm going to do that, yeah, I'm going to be the best. I mean, the best I can yeah. at it. So this is the you can. It's not a curse, but it's almost. It's, it's almost like, a curse. It's man. almost a curse when you get great at something. You know, if when you become when you push yourself through any endeavor, whether it's jujitsu, whether it's karate, whether it's taekwondo, whether it's juggling, whether it's shooting, whether it's archery, whether it's you know mastering a business, Sport. you have, have enough success in it. Now you know yourself much in a different way, much yeah. better, much deeper than you've known yourself before because those endeavors, when you push yourself, that's when you really get to know yourself. And that's, that's why it's important, by the way, to study one thing really well. And mm-hmm. then after that, you you can extend into other things. Mm-hmm. But it's, 
you know, even in these mixed martial arts competitions, the guys that are really good, they they mastered one thing really mm-hmm. well. Then mm-hmm. they added other things. It's mm-hmm. it's like I think it's foolish to try to. It's like it's like trying to learn French, Spanish, Portuguese, and German. Right, all you know, at you can, once. All at once, because right. you can you can learn to say where's the toilet in right. all those languages, but right. you can't have a conversation. Can you talk, yeah. So when you when you so the curse is like, and I call it a curse. It's not a curse, but you know, once you taste that, you know yourself in a certain way that you can now easily you know see the levels of everything in life like you see the art in every for me I, it's like i call it the art of anything so when i'm teaching it's the art of teaching how to Absolutely. teach well. when i'm dealing with kids it's the art of dealing with kids Absolutely. based on all the years of doing that when i'm sh- when i'm shooting it's the art of shooting it's mm-hmm. like i know there's so many things that go into that and why mm-hmm. would you why would you hold the weapon in the wrong way now that you know the right way it's right. like and that attitude that you said is just it permeates your entire life, and yeah. it can it can be a trap. It can be a curse in that you put too much pressure on yourself to be great at whatever it is you do. Yeah. That's not that's not the right thing to do. Yeah. But to recognize what is the um, you know right thing in the moment mm-hmm. for that moment is different than just uh, you know approaching any kind of activity or skill with with reckless abandon, mm-hmm. you know, because now there's a certain way, you know, yeah. you know, um, how to approach something that you would like to learn or that you would like to do. Yeah. So back to what you're saying, you know, you're but it makes, you know, I, I'm making a little loop back at what you were saying when you were younger mm-hmm. and doing karate, karate and, or, or no, you were using the example of like playing music mm-hmm. and trying to ex- execute like, um, uh, whatever tune f- as fast as possible and you would um, fail at it and then you would the the emotion would come in and be like shit what am I doing and yeah, then just like why did I fuck that up I just did it 20 times and I right. still didn't didn't get it exactly right. so right. I I so for me when I hear that and what I'm hearing is like this desire to become better right. and achieve some sort of like perfection and the frustration you 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 have not getting to that point. And I brought that, uh, and I really uh, uh, can uh, recognize myself in that because Mm -hmm. I I was the same way, Mm -hmm. I am the same way. And I took that into the space of meditation. Mm -hmm. The problem with meditation is that there's no right way. Mm -hmm. There's no perfect way to meditate. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. You need to let go of (laughs) the ego you know, like projecting the picture, the image, like projecting the idea of like, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be, I'm going to execute that perfectly. So you need to remove yourself from that space. And that's when you're perfect. That's when you achieve the zone, like the, the Zen state. So it's actually counterintuitive. And I have been meditating. So just to come back to like, well, so I've been meditating for like 19 years, Mm -hmm. but the first 10, Mm -hmm. I was in this, uh, pursuit of trying to be perfect mm-hmm. in my practice of mm-hmm. meditation. Mm-hmm. And when I came to Chicago uh, seven years ago, I m- and I got this psychic reading, mm-hmm. and then I got involved into a psychic school here based in Chicago. Oh, geez, I didn't know any of this. Envision. Okay. And I wow. started learning from them the techniques to actually practice meditation and all the techniques they taught me was to become clairvoyant and like neutral and step away from this idea of perfection and, 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 and 
being perfect in my meditation practice because this is the opposite. There's no perfect way to meditate. Well, this issue of perfection is like the, it's almost like the, it's, it's a double edged sword Mm -hmm. of the artist, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where sometimes the striving for perfection, um, can lead you in some amazing to some amazing levels of improvement and then of course the obsession with perfection could screw you up totally Mm -hmm. and and there are times in life where um, perfection is necessary like when you are examining your plane before you get inside right <laughs> and and take it up in the air you better have made the correct assessment about the oil yes. and whether or not there is damage to the wings or right. whether or not everything is working right because and and then you start you know and then you take off and in a way you could say that was perfect and mm-hmm. still something could go wrong but at least your assessment was was Per, as perfect as you can make it. You know, mm-hmm. it's perfect. Like everything you said was correct. So there's perfection in that, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're a professional pilot, you better make sure that you're, mm-hmm. you know every you're you know everything is as perfect as you could possibly make it. So there are, there are practical uses of you could you could you could argue for perfection in that way. But in general, I I think that perfection has sort of messed me up when I was younger. Yeah. You know, because yeah, I me too. and all I what I did to combat it was to to change the perspective of perfection, mm-hmm. what it meant to me. And so, How I, so? so, okay. So I saw people that were thinking like, you know, you know, oh, it's good. You know, this, this technique is good enough. You know, it's, 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 it's good enough. It doesn't have to be, per, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. And it doesn't have to be that good. But I disagreed. Like I, to me at the time when I was learning, you know, especially if I was learning something on guitar, I was going to be on stage I'd see people that were performing in that solo, you know, that wasn't, right. you know, they could have been, this is so, you know, mm-hmm. so, but they're like, yeah, it's good enough. I have a really nice guitar and I, you know, I look good and all that. So I can just sound, sound the way, you know, it's good enough, but it really isn't not for me. I guess if, you know, there's a, there's a certain level that you get to, I guess, or something, I don't know, but there's, you know, when, when art speaks to you in a certain way, it's gotta be, it's, that's the way that moves you. And then anything less than that just looks like a sloppy rendition of something. I agree. And, I agree. And, and that really is, to me, I equated being not perfect with not caring. Right. And, and that is not necessary. It's, it's not true. So, so ironically, I use that, that phrase, good enough to do the job, um, to uh, apply to perfectionists like myself. Um, because a profe- a prof- someone like me or you, we're not going to ever do a bad job. We can't. Do you understand? Exactly. We can't. We can't it, not care about something. Yeah. Because because it's that's really in, what it in is. In our blood. Yeah. But then, if you're wise and you have experience, after a while, you'll know when enough is enough in a certain right. endeavor that you're you know in something that you're doing. It's that's enough. That is perfect, right? And that itself. Like I said, I changed my perspective on it. That was like when I have a young student do something, uh, perform some uh, maneuvers in karate. That is perfect for them right at that moment. Right. To ask them to do something else is not realistic. It's the mark of a poor instructor. It doesn't mean that you. It, it means there's something wrong with me as an instructor if I do mm. something. You know. But when you see someone executes an action that is just right, you know, for them. Could could it be more powerful? Could it be faster? Sure, it could. Mm. But that's not what you're looking for in the moment. Yeah. You were looking for something else. So in a way, there's perfection there, and that, I'm not trying to devalue 
you know, the activity that I just had somebody do, you know, I'm saying that it really is perfect just for that moment. And we, yeah. you can be perfect just for that moment. If you look back at your TEDx talk recently, overall, would you say it was perfect in a way? Yeah. Yeah. Right. See yeah. how easily you could say that? It's just like, yeah. you know. Of course, I saw when I was doing it, there was little mistakes. But I think those mistakes was only visible to my eyes only. Well, we talked mm. about that when I first met, talked to you, when I first met yeah. you. It's like, you know, that, you know, if you want to, right now, if you want to play, the, the, where music technology is right now, if you want to play, uh, you know, something that's been recorded all on somebody's, you know, computer, yeah. it, the, the sound quality is so utterly amazing. It's freakish. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. It's not the same as if you've got somebody sitting there in front of you, and, and actually, mm-hmm. it's just something about the slightly off tune or the mm-hmm. slight slightest. The mistake. humanity, the humanity of it is, we could I could argue is perf- is the perfection, right? There. Right. And so right. you sort of drop this thing right. of perfection, and you get a hell of a lot more done. That's been my yeah. <laughs> you know. for me. Perfection, perfectionism. Uh, it's exactly what you described, like pushed me to be the best version of myself so that's good Mm. but then it also frustrated me a lot because I was self-aware that I was not perfect every step of the way and Mm. it took me a very long time to be at peace with myself Mm. knowing that um, what was important was knowing that I was trying every day to be the best. So do you think, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but just, I have to ask you like right now, like, do you think that if you were less perfectionistic about your journey to become, uh, you know, one of the best jugglers in the world, do you think that you would have been an even better juggler? That's the question. So the question is, should, should we advise people who are trying, you know, who are on this journey to be the best artist that they can be to, try you know how do you tell them not to try so, to, you know but how do you tell somebody not to be overly pe- perfectionistic because no, no one seems to be able to what, what, what i'm seeing right now the key what i'm seeing right now is that when i teach mm-hmm. or um yeah when i coach i teach i'm like okay you want to be the best version of yourself on the long run so have an objective have a mountain to climb, mm-hmm. you, the top of your mountain, mm-hmm. decide yeah. whatever it's going to be. It's going to be high. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. It's like this is this far destination of mm-hmm. being amazing. Mm-hmm. And every day mm-hmm. that you're aiming in that direction, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day or during your training, your daily training, mm-hmm. don't try to be on the top of that mountain. You're this is a long run. This is a long-term objective. So mm-hmm. whatever you're doing now, today, be compassionate with yourself. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter if today you're performing great, you're performing bad. If you're worse than yesterday or better than yesterday, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you practice and you do your best today mm-hmm. with what you have today with the levels of your emotion, your technique, your mm. physical, physicality, like whatever you're working with today, mm. do the best you can. And if you have a student that does that, right, that follows exactly that. I mean, yeah. I, I agree. I agree totally. I mean, you that when you take the focus, when you say that perfection is way over here somewhere right. and you're always striving Far to get to away. it. Yeah. 
I think that's what like every religion and everybody says in the world, which is like you're trying to, you know, no one can, and you're never going to reach it kind of thing. You know, you're not yeah. going to reach it, but you're going to try and that the journey is, and you accept yourself along the way. Yeah. So would you describe like your daily training of one of your juggling students? Um, if they're just there and they're training and they're doing their best, would you describe that as, as perfection in and of itself? Would you, or would you never say that? Yeah. Oh no, I would say you? that all the time. Okay. Especially when they miss. So, <laughs> I like that. Yes. Because you missed. You dropped everything perfect. Yes. Do you say because, that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Do you really? That's, yeah. That's great. Because it's not about the drop. It's about the moment. Like when, Boy, when I, Tell me about that. Like, well, when you're juggling. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try a trick and I'm mm-hmm. going to juggle seven balls, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do it and I'm going to be juggling and I'm going to be juggling for like 20 seconds mm-hmm. with seven balls. But then along the way, around 22 seconds, suddenly one ball go in the wrong direction, kick all like five balls. And then it's a big explosion firework type. And I end up with like one ball in my hand <laughs> and all the other balls are on the floor. Uh-huh. Then what? Well, how was the pattern during the 22 seconds until this moment where I failed? How was the pattern? If the pattern of my seven ball was executed in, a, in grace and a beautiful motion right. and in rhythm and right. the technique was good, that was a success. And it doesn't matter if at the end the ball collide and I drop all the balls. Th- that doesn't matter in training because I'm not on stage. Right. I don't need to prove myself. I'm, I'm not trying to show, hey, look, I'm a great juggler and I'm going to do right. this beautiful act of juggling. No, I'm practicing. So during practice, if the execution is beautiful, but I fuck up the ending, yeah. it doesn't matter. And that's why when I see a student doing that and executing the pattern correctly, but right. then they fail, yeah. I always tell them that was really good. Right. Don't be frustrated because you just feel because that's the that's what made me think of what you're saying. You know, when you're younger and you're like, oh, shit, right. I, I, I nearly made it. No, you don't. You didn't nearly made it. You totally made it. Right. You were there. You were there. Right. You're in the flow. You did it. And at one point it stopped. That's OK. That's you right. know what? Next repetition, we're going to try to do 23 seconds. <laughs> right. And the next right. one, we're going to try to do 24. Right. So it's the st- <laughs> it's the striving for perfection. Yes, that's. I mean, they say that in the martial arts. That you know, they always have this uh, saying in the martial arts that that's what you're trying for. In the traditional, in traditional karate, they were always trying for striving for the perfection of your character because they thought that was something that can always be um, attended to. They could always practice for the rest of your life, as if you know, uh, because mar- training in the martial arts never ends. Technically, if you're if you're in the traditional martial arts, if you're in competitive martial arts. Then you're like a sports athlete where, you know, you, you train and then you, st- you compete and then you stop and then maybe you're, you'll teach or something like that. But those who, you know, and, and you can continue to evolve through the instruction of martial arts, too. So I guess that's part of it as well. But it's like a never ending thing where you're striving for the perfection of something that is, you know, somewhat unachievable. But you can always, you know, but you can always improve in some way. Yeah. And. So, so that's what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. If you, um, you know, we talked about like where we're at now and in, in these things that we've been dedicating our lives to mm-hmm. for years is 
would you say that you're still evolving as a juggler, even though uh, you're, you know, you're in a, a unique time in your life where you're thinking about teaching, but or you're, you know, you're, you you cut back on performances, I th- or have you not cut back on performances? But do you, you know, you're you're not juggling the same way you used to. You're not. Yeah, doing, that's you're not, the thing. Are I, you? I, do you I still can. still feel like you're evolving in some way through this, or are you? Uh, charting yourself on a new course now i that's the big question man because mm-hmm. um i mean until recently i i was just getting better and better mm-hmm. and i i didn't think it was possible you know I, I i i thought i achieved my peak performance when i was training uh working for the Cirque du Soleil, for example like uh seven years ago mm-hmm. And then I quit and I found a new um, factory of juggling balls uh, in Italy and became friend with uh, Davide, the owner, and in became in love with the way he uh, creates his juggling props, which is like he creates a prototypes, mm-hmm. send them to the best juggler all over the world, mm-hmm and then listen to their feedback and improve. Mm. And so it's a constant work in progress mm. to make to improve the props for the juggler because he's actually listening to the juggler. And this is the first time I meet I, me, I met someone that does that. Wait, how could that be that so, this juggling's been around for a long ass time? I know. And only now somebody is yes. like listening to the juggler? Yes. What's, there's something wrong with that. Absolutely. Because the people making juggling props, what they want to do, it's business people. So they're right. like, well, that's all, that happens in every art. Thinking right? about the business side of it. Right. And they're like, oh, cool. Huh? And so they're thinking about cutting corners. They're thinking about, uh, you know, like making profit. And this guy. <laughs> Is but not but this he, guy? But he, he probably will make more profit than everybody else. Well, I hope so because he's freaking amazing. He's actually thinking about how do we better the juggling by providing better props. So every time he receives critiques, he actually like listen to everybody and and just keep improving the props. That's how you get so he's at he's constantly in, in, investing money to make the thing better. And I mean, for me, it's, this is a revolution. And for some reason, before that. It didn't happen. Like they were just doing their thing and and selling. And so I would just use whatever was available. And I had a very specific desire to juggle with like balls that are like as big as possible for my hand. Mm -hmm. But then the only type I found was like the the very hard and heavy. But I still decided, okay, I'm going to use those because I like the visual aspect. Mm -hmm. But the problem was that it made the technique much harder because I had less space for mistakes and and I had to be perfect. So in a way it was great because it forced me to have a perfect technique, Mm. but it was so much stress while I was stepping on stage and doing my performance because I had to be so precise and perfect in my technique. I had no margin of error. Mm. And then I met this guy and he's like, yeah, you should try my jogging balls. He sent it to me for free and then I juggle with that and like in over a week I doubled my level <laughs> doubled my level that, that's I, pretty astounding actually freaking and especially that I was already a very high level right that's the thing you know I, well, I was already like wasn't were, were you not like um 
like frustrated with the equipment that you had at the time thinking or were you just never thought about it until you saw and do a different product like no I, I never thought of it oh wow I never thought of it I just took it because I'm a perfectionist so I was like so you, oh I need to be perfect to do my okay. stuff I'm gonna be perfect so but it's so much pressure too much pressure hmm. it's the same thing we we're talking about like with what I was doing with meditation or right. what you were doing when you, it's right. like putting too much pressure on yourself. Well, you know, that's the thing you have. I think you have an extraordinarily difficult, um, art form because when I, you know, if I'm sitting in a, on a small stage by myself singing and playing guitar, even then I could screw up a tiny bit and get away with it. Yeah. You know? It's and just it's, keep going and, and just keep going, keep which, which I can't, I cannot stand. So I, I, Almost never, you know, I try to never, but I mean, I, you know, the audience is kind of forgiving if you, you are. Can if you, away, you can get away more easily. If you're good, like if you're good, like, yes. and, I, and I'm, I'm using the term good liberally. Like, I mean, if you really have a good vibe on the stage and you yeah. know that there's a connection between you and the audience, that that's what I'm, ter- that's what I'm defining good as, yeah. you know. Then you can, you know, you can make a joke in the middle of a song or, and they'll, they'll dig it if it works, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Your case, you're on a, you're on a different thing you can't you cannot i mean that famous term that everybody used you drop the ball that, right. that's probably from juggling i'm yeah, gonna imagine about, right yeah okay totally. so like you cannot drop that shit no because so, you're on the spot and you're it's you like, can't hide it yeah you're very similar to i think maybe i mean off the top of my head here like a, like a stand-up comedian like you mm-hmm. those guys they tell me my stand-up uh, comedian friends tell me that it's like they see the audience as like a, a opponent uh-huh. and like they're i don't know i don't think you I don't know necessarily no, think you no, think no, that no. way, For but they do. They yeah, do. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they use all these terms like, yeah, I got murdered today. Me- meaning like, you know, audience, they, their jokes didn't go well and the right. audience crushed them. They, they look at the audience as an opponent, like in a, in a boxing mm-hmm. match, which I think is fascinating. And, but they're out there alone and they got nobody to mm-hmm. defend them. Right. And mm-hmm. then sometimes they actually have to deal with aggressive mm-hmm. audience members and stuff like that. Your case is like, you are against yourself, but you are, I mean, you've got nobody no. There, you don't have a net. You don't have a, a no. you know, you don't. No, there's nobody that runs out and picks up a, a juggling ball if you drop it. And that's yeah. why, th- that's why I thought your idea of putting all these balls out on the stage was brilliant. I yeah. mean, that that you reverse the whole way that yeah. uh, that everybody thinks about things, yeah. which is exactly the right way to to, to approach yeah, this problem because because it's, because it's your problem and no one else's problem. Like exactly. those guys that manage the stage can't do a goddamn thing about you. No. Like if you. It's, it's my your, act, it's your, you it's know, your it's act. Because right. it's it's not planned. If you plan a drop, yeah. then you can like make a whole plan about it, and you can either have the stage manager come in, you can play with that it. That could be fun. That could be that funny, could be very right? fun. And purposely drop something. Yes, yeah. and it's actually traditionally what happened in huh. the circus. Huh. A juggler will plan a drop toward like usually like the end of the of the act like before the most difficult trick mm-hmm. they're going to purposely drop to like show the audience how difficult it is and then when they actually succeed at it huh. the audience is like oh my god it was very difficult and they did it anyway right so have you ever done that no i not I, your style it's not my style but i do play with that concept but i don't plan it so when I fail, I, I actually do fail, but I reverse the concept of being like, well, 
I'm not going to get myself crushed by it and I'm going to play with it. So along the way, 25 years performing, mm -hmm. I came up with like different ways to deal with that. Yeah. Humor. Uh, best uh, way. You know, one like of the best ways. Making a joke. And, or, you know, like recently I was on stage in Germany and it works here in America too. And then I'm at the end of the show. I, I do my big finale and then I, I don't plan on dropping, but mm -hmm. knowing that I have the space to drop because I know how to recuperate the drop and keep on going gives me more space to try something harder. Sure. So I'm more confident. I'll be like, you know what? I'm going to try this really hard shit. At the, like last year I was doing double pirouette with eight ball. So <laughs> I would like juggle eight, four, four, four in the air, then four in the air. So like four and four and four. And then I throw four and then I just stand there and then I catch it back and then I throw another four, I do one pirouette and I catch it back and then I throw another four and I do a double pirouette and I catch everything. And that's one of the hardest trick I, I can do. Yeah. And uh, I put it very quickly on stage because I was like, if I mess up, I know how to deal with that. Yeah. And so I mess up and silence everybody's uncomfortable and I look at them and I shrug my shoulders and I'm like, c'est la vie. <laughs> and then I pick it up and I do it again and this time I succeed and boom. Love it. Well, you know? I think people, and we talked about this again when, I first, when we first had our conversation about this. You know, people love a comeback story. Exactly. Almost more than they, yes. they probably love it more than. Than just a straight success story, right? When, when I auditioned for The Voice once, you know, they asked me on the application, you know, do you have a story of like, that you've, of, of uh, torment that you've overcome or, or uh, right, some, right, you know, right. that's what they asked yes. specifically. Like, yes. You know, they want drama. They want, the, they yeah, want drama. They don't well, care this, if is, this is another space though, because. Okay. For me, those vo the voice like get America's Got Talent and whatever, they're like you're disposable, you're expendable, and they just want to bring drama on stage and entertain yeah. people. Yeah, uh, at your detriment, <laughs> well, at know. your fucking detriment, <laughs> and that I, I is not I, cool. It, well, okay, so I I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that, but I do I do see where that can be very hurtful for a lot. You know, for people who are who cannot handle, you know, the, re the rejection. If you're I mean, not strong enough. If you're not strong enough, you're, you're the, screwed. You're screwed. That's why young people, when they get up there, I always worry about it. Like, yeah. oh, man, this kid's going to be, like, scarred because, like, yeah. the, the, audi the, the home audience votes them out. You know, that's a hard thing for people to, uh, to, to uh, digest, you know. You go home after, like, a million people said no. They choose the person next to you over you. But you know, you have to. You have to. You know, they should probably all get a little bit of counseling after that experience, and, and have someone say, "Hey, your singing was good enough to make it to the finals, so you're just going to be fine." And you know, also, and this some is bullshit. Recording contracts, and they haven't won. Absolutely. You know, so I think just to get on TV, you know. Absolutely, it's just the opinion of either a few judges, so like a few individuals, or even if it's the call yeah. of like everybody, it's what you're saying today it's in this moment, like what your um, uh, Japanese author slash mentor was telling you kind of, you know, like hmm. write it today yeah, because it tomorrow you're going to be different. It's the same thing. Sure. Today, America said, 
whatever. Right. In three days, America right. is going to be f- going to feel completely different, and right. you could win. So you're an instructor. You, I mean, you're a person who has so much life experience with this art that you've you've uh, grown with and, and developed and navigated your whole life through. So you can you can just that just rolls out of your mouth like that's easy to say. Yeah. But for these young, for a lot of people, they don't know shit. They're just Agreed. like they think their entire life is dependent on the judgment yes. and you know, of somebody else. And these shows, what to, I'm agreeing with you at this on this level, where you know these shows are all about judgment. They're mm-hmm. not about like. Empowering the arts, no, showcasing a beautiful actor, singer, dancer, whatever. It's just about the 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 drama, the The drama of like, oh, this poor little kid is doing that, and now we're gonna say you're the best, and now he's gonna cry. Oh my god, I never (laughs) thought of it. Or the opposite, this person that comes in and is like, have this beautiful. Uh, look and and right. voice and this and right. that and like everybody think oh it's obvious this guy's amazing and then they're gonna break them and be like oh we don't yeah. like you you're bad you're this you're that and then we want to see the drama For of sure. this person like crumbling and being like broken you know, know it's like so what the fuck well that's the ugly side we're of playing with you well, know the psyche of people here that's right well people yeah I think and it's probably true in other countries but I, certainly in America Americans like to. You know, I, I'm making a blanket statement here, so maybe I should be careful with that. But I think a lot of people like to cut down somebody who's, you know, I, th- I don't know if that's human nature or, but you know, jealousy. There's there's such an inherent jealousy, level man. of envy and jealousy envy, that yeah. comes with you know being successful. So you envy and and for some reason, cutting down someone else you think is going to make you feel better. And actually, it does make you feel better, but you know what? For 20 uh, seconds. Well, look at look what happened to uh, so, it's so like many of the... Instant gratification of like 20 seconds feeling better because you're like shitting on someone else. But actually, it doesn't change your life at all. Look, look at look at the iconic... You're still a iconic. piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you are a piece of shit. Yeah, if you just accept that you're a piece of shit now, then you can never get let down. <laughs> I, there, I'm sure. I'm sure there are some, uh, you know, th- systems of thought that think that right. You're just a piece of shit, so don't worry about it all. Everything well, else, everything else is cake. Actually, you know, you know, it's basically I, what I know. started being very arrogant and uh-huh. thinking very highly of myself. Yeah. And the more I go through my career, the more I think of myself. You know what? You're. You, you're just like everybody else. You're just another human being, yeah. and 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 that's and actually, it's not like I'm not down, downsizing myself. I'm not being like, oh, I'm a piece of shit. I'm nothing. I'm, j- but it's actually true. I'm well, just one you, more human being on this planet. Well, arrogance. You know what arrogance is? Is like a lot of times the arrogance is coming from an insecure place. A lot of times, yeah. There are some people that are are they're badasses, and and they're arrogant on top of that. But that is coming from some weird space too. There's just mm-hmm. no. There's no healthy reason to have arrogance, and maybe and maybe people interpret the word differently. You know, some people. I, I'm looking at the word arrogance as this this feeling that you are like better than better, else, yes, or you have more value than yes. someone else because of anything that you've been through or achieved. Whether right. you have more money, or whether it's that you're a Navy SEAL now, you think you're better than everybody else. And, or mm-hmm. whether, you know, whatever. But there's a certain level of, and, and people confuse confidence exactly. with arrogance. And like I if totally you t- agree. This, you know, just because I brought up Navy SEALs. You know, the Navy SEALs that I know, 
They're not arrogant. They're not arrogant. They're confident They're in themselves. Confident. There's a, and confidence, there's a lot of people in the world that are not confident. People are always looking for help or an answer or someone to assist them. And that's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lack of confidence. Yeah. You know? And so when they see somebody who's confident, they can misinterpret that as arrogance. But arrogance that's that you're talking about is like the arrogance. Arrogance. Thing. But that's, and actually I talk about it because in my culture in France, they don't make any distinction between uh, confidence and arrogance. Mm -hmm. So uh, mm. I actually did uh, French Got Talent a few years ago. Did you? I did. So, so you know about I, this. I do know okay. about it. So wow. I talk from a place of like, actually have been through the experience. Can I see you on YouTube? Can I check, find yeah, you on yeah, YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think I put it on YouTube. I think I put it on Vimeo. But, but they, they, would, they will have it on Oh, YouTube. they did. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's why I don't have it. They put it on YouTube. So, so I could find you on YouTube with Francis yeah, Got Talent. Yeah, Friends Got Talent, and you put uh, my name, Cyril Rabat, and then you find me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they that's did cool. that, and at the mm. time... It was after my tour with the Cirque du Soleil, so maybe it was like four years ago, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And then I was extremely confident because at that time, I've been juggling for 20 years. I, I, I'm an accomplished performer. So, How'd you do on that show, by the way? Can I ask? Like, how, how'd you do on Friends Got Talent? How? I was amazing. Mm. I rocked the house. But then because I was confident... And I did an awesome show. And after, you know, there's this little talk with the judges where they tell you like, oh, uh, the one judge tell you like, oh, I thought I think you can do better because of this. The other one is like, oh, that was perfect for me because of this. And then I was very confident and I didn't care about their validation or invalidation. And I was just like, oh, thank you for saying that. I don't give a shit. I, I didn't say that, but like my attitude was more like. I knew you were good. And they knew you. I know you were good. I'm good. They right. knew I was good, and right. I, they were my peers. I was not like looking up to them. I was just like talking to them, like they're my peers. I just did something amazing. Everybody knows it, so th that's all. That's fine. And then they couldn't handle that because that for them was arrogance, and they had to like uh, they they actually took me out of the competition because I was too good. Oh, that is a great story. So I'm like, that oh, is a great story. I'm actually too good to compete on a, on to a, this on a got talent on show. a got talent show. You, apparently, you're you got too much talent is yes. what you got. Yes, for the show. Yes. <laughs> so I got was, fired or it, whatever God. out of the competition because I had too much talent, I've and never I was like, this is awesome. That's this is. This is the best compliment you can do it for me. So for me, it was a very great experience because yeah. I was very proud right. of the performance I did. I worked really hard to do this two minutes, and I did an awesome job. You should have lied. You should have told them you were living in a cardboard box in under the Eiffel Tower, and you haven't eaten in a month. Exactly. You should have just told them that. Exactly. And, you know, and my heart is broken. I just got dumped and I'm divorcing and I, I'm <laughs> doubting myself. I don't know what I'm going to do. Without this show, I'll never be able to eat. Exactly. So they were looking that, for a weakness and they didn't yes. see a weakness. No. They just saw what, the, what they saw was the purpose of the show, to discover great talent. So once they discovered great talent, they said, fuck that. <laughs> yes. 
so they needed the the drama and the, yeah. I, I was not bringing drama I was just bringing and and that's a shame why can't we show on TV someone that is confident doing right. something beautiful and validate that we need let to me, validate the drama let me tell you because I wrote a children's uh, a television show pr uh, pilot years ago and I went back to Japan with a filmmaker and filmed it all and put to, put it together and I was pitching it in Chicago and a lot of people everybody liked it that they watched it but a couple of producers uh, and directors out in, out in LA saw it too and they were like it doesn't we just doesn't have enough conflict right Con we need more conflict right I mean it's true that if, if you look at Shakespeare and all conflict is the center piece of yeah. like drama yeah. like that's why we call it drama right yeah. we need we you know people if you if you open up a theater with a play in which everybody is happy and right. healthy. <laughs> everybody, nobody gives a shit. Yeah, everybody yeah, wants yeah. to see a conflict. In the, so, you know, when you walk in and you have your shit together like no yeah. one's ever seen before, they're like, whoa, you know. And maybe they're thinking, what does this guy need to be on our show for? He's so good, he doesn't need us. You but know? they it, invited it, me. <laughs> I didn't try to go on their show. They called me for 10 years. Oh, my gosh. The, every year for 10 years, so they've been calling me and I've been saying, you know what? Your show is a piece of shit. I will <laughs> never be part of your show. I don't care Did about it. Did you say that? Yeah. Your show is a piece of shit. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were like, oh, we want you on your show. It's a great show. It's to promote talent. And I was like, okay, uh, what is it name? Okay. I have no idea of the show. 10 years ago, I was like, I don't know. It was not 10 years. It was like 15 years ago. And so I go online and I watch to an episode and I see those amazing artists. And then I see the, the judges being like, oh, I think this is very bad because... The, and I'm like... This guy is not qualified to talk about yeah. whatever this person just did. Right. And he's the authority on that. Right. I'm not going to put myself in a situation where an asshole that's supposed to be whoever because he has a yeah. name or actually most of the judges are actually kind of like going down in their career. So sure. like they're doing they this kind of show shows to, up. to like put them up. So yeah, it's a not, similarity in so they're not that. really like they're not qualified to make any judgment call. And right. so they're going to judge the, the, you know, like the, <laughs> my, my wor life's work right on tv yeah you were too good you were too like, good you were too fuck good fuck you guys you know I you can't that. say that but every year every year they say every come year on, for 10 on, years come on, come on you need to be part of this you know and 10 and then after 10 I mean, years i was in a place where i was like oh you know what I, I'm okay. You, I'm ready to go because I have nothing to prove. Yes, and yeah, I don't I need the say. validation of the them. judges, so I don't give a fuck about what they're gonna say. I just want to tell the world, hey, yeah. you know, guys, that's who I am. You wanted to expand your. You're like, hey, I haven't done that yet, so I'll go ahead. I'm and gonna express I'll myself. I'll just throw myself on, on this that one. platform, and they couldn't handle that. So they were like, you're too good, you, you're fired, you can't stay here, you're too good. Okay, so how did they literally do that to you? Like, what did they say? It's like, Cyril, we're sorry, but you're actually, you know, not what we're looking for, or what did they say? No, they were did like, they you know what, you're, you're too good. You're too good, okay. They said that, though. Yeah, they, they said that. But that's good. At least they said that. Yeah. At least and they, and they were feeling like shit telling me to me yeah. because they were looking, you know, they were looking at their shoes and they were like, because they were like, this is this is stupid. You should be the one keep competing and probably go to the finale. finale. So somebody told them to fire you, in other words. Probably. 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 Right? probably. The guy, they're they're, they're the probably the executive. Uh, the, the executive that are like looking at like, 
because you know they need to like choose the right people and and create drama <laughs> and blah 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 and they were like this guy is too good we 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 you know yeah. he's just going to crush everybody else probably <laughs> i don't know what they were thinking you know what uh-huh. i mean right now i'm being like you know like but ultimately I, that's I a know, great experience for you that was must yeah. have been a great moment when they when when somebody says to you you're too good yeah. to be in this thing I was like that's so hell awesome. yeah that's that i mean all that, right. That, especially on a show like that, like that's a national show. Like yeah. that's an international show, really. You can because you can watch that. You know, yeah, from everywhere. everywhere. Yes, yeah, that's online. That's, yeah, yeah, that that must have been a great experience for you yeah. in a way. Like, I you was didn't, you didn't super need to validated. continue on with that show, right? No, it was perfect I was like, that they. Fuck it. it was I perfect. Mean, I wanted to win because there's money at the end, and oh, I was I like, see. shit. If, if I'll win a hundred thousand dollar, is that is that what it was? Yeah. Shit, man, a hundred thousand is worth yeah, it. That it's, was, it's good. That's worth it. Yeah. So I was like, I'll compete and I'll win the prize. But I, you but know, so then they were asking me, you know. Were you going up against singers and other things? Was it a multi? Everybody. It's oh like my God. everybody. You can't compete. It's no, that's not fair to go against. Against dancers. If, if you were going sing. against jugglers, now we got to, no, you know. If we went no. like, Paris has got juggling. You know, no, something like that. Then like, you'd be like, now, it's you like know. Everybody. Everybody. You can't even compare those. They're just different. At, there's. You it's know. stupid. It's it's yeah. this stupid drama thing. It's, but it works. It, it's a it's a formula that works. You know, people yeah, want to see people watch that. I think people want to see audience members want to see people squirm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they want to see the famous underdog come out from underneath that. Yes, and get voted to go on. Yeah, and then they and then they cry, which I would do if I was like if I didn't think I would, you know if I didn't know about my own talent, and I got up there and my knees were shivering and I like sang something. The audience explodes, man. I'd be breaking down. I'd yeah. be crying all over yeah. that stage, yeah. man. You have to no, pick dude, me up. The reaction of the talent is real. Yes, it's which actually is, which real is people going there, trying, taking their chances. And that's and why it's, people it's are real. watching. That's why people what are watching. What is a little more evil is the executive director manipulating that completely. to create drama and to create something completely. It's so, you know, people are chosen to move on or not move on. Based on based on the manipulation, based manipulation, on what they think, will be not the, based on their based actual on skill. right. skills and and emotion and heart and everything they're putting out there. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm like, this is full of shit. But but I love I the fact that you said that I was to them. getting into for ten years. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Every year, you're no, you're yeah. no, you're number three. Your show is full of shit. Yeah. Click. Yeah. <laughs> it's a piece of shit. I don't want to do it. And every year they would call me back, man, and be like, hey, we need you yeah. on the show. So so back to uh, this moment where you said uh, that the French consider arrogance and confidence to be, they don't delineate between the two. Why no, is that? French, you know, Fran- France, it's not like France isn't known for its art and its food and its approach to to to, you know, many things, love, women, all that, you know, <laughs> I mean, like wine, you know, what's uh, pastries? I can go on. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. hey, by the way, you reminded me of something. I wasn't, well, I was in Paris years ago and I did get on a motorcycle there and I was pulling stunts down. I was in Nice, actually, uh-huh. and I had rented some kind of small motorcycle and I was doing like, I was standing on it while, uh, while it was going down the street, like up and down the streets and these shopkeepers, these French shopkeepers would come out and like applaud me and wow. as I was doing tricks on the thing. I, I just never remembered that until I'm sitting here with you. But like I was, I was there in France, like you know, doing crazy, just shit. doing crazy shit as a as a as a young guy. Yeah, That's awesome. Know. Anyway, but anyway, yeah, I don't know why that is because France. You know, you'd think that with all this uh, um, sensitivity to art and um, that that the French uh, would know the difference between. There's a weird psychological 
bias and um yeah it's part of the french culture hmm. it's, it's very not accepted that you can be confident in what you do do you think you think that's why the french do you or first of all do you think the french have an attitude towards americans oh yeah and why why is it that the french you're fucking stupid guys <laughs> <laughs> how you're handling world affairs no the mm. problem is that um what we're getting in france from the american culture mm. is the big things so mcdonald mm. uh the, big, the worst the, the worst ma- the not most corporate the, mcdonald's yes. has its has its purpose i mean uh, you know it's it's got its place in the world you know i don't know if you're if you're if you're in some rundown country somewhere and you're starving and you don't you know want yeah but it's that doesn't happen in france <laughs> That's the problem. I don't know how anyone in would. France we have amazing food and McDonald's well, that was invaded true. France but for the, some reason and and French people. Well, French people go there. Yes, I mean you. I may always made it's it a point. Up. Whatever country I was in, I would always go to the McDonald's there to see what they were serving. And, and you yeah. know, there there they were in you know in Paris serving wine. Like they couldn't get you know McDonald's in America to serve wine. Yeah, maybe now, but uh, you know back then. Mm, yeah, no, not even. But now. I don't know why the French people would go any. I don't know why either. And it's very. It's I think it's the second uh, largest business for McDonald's after the U.S. is like actually France. Mm. So, well, so what we're getting, and so the intellectual thinking journalists, uh, you know, community in France and mostly in Paris because uh, Paris is really centralized to France. Like, Mm. it's like Paris is a huge city and then after that, it's only like, Lyon, Marseille, but it's like way smaller than Paris. So France is very centralized. America, at least you have like New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Washington. You have like poles. In France, we just have Paris. Mm. So, you know, that's really eating 75% of like the cultural, intellectual um, community is like just based in Paris. So... Um, the picture or the understanding we have of America is really this, uh, what we get from them. So what crosses the Atlantic is, uh, well, big businesses, big things that succeed. And some of them are great. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the music is great. Some of the art is great. But a lot of it is like greedy corporation just expanding and polluting and, you know, as soon as you do something on a huge scale, it's hard to keep a high quality, you know, and it's like... It's true for anything. It's true for anything, you know, like you, you, you there, there's a moment of expansion where you're like, there's a tipping point when you just expand more mm-hmm. Then and it depends, like, I think on the industry and whatever you're doing, but mm-hmm. like, if you go too big, mm-hmm. you just lose quality. You, mm-hmm. you, you can't match that level of quality, you know? Why were the French so upset when tourists do not speak their language oh no this is this is is that is that a fallacy no no, no it's true mm. i mean it depends from the experience changes depending on who you are mm. as a tourist mm. i think mm. so 
but it's very true and i think it's a question of um, is it is it is it a question of french national pride or is it is it is it the fact that americans stole the universal language from the french <laughs> yes. it used to be yes. french was the universal language yes. i think now it's, it's a English. question of uh, f- uh but back feeling um it's a frustration uh-huh. yeah <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're t- tapping into something very intimate, and it's a pride in the Fr- that the French culture in France and Paris, mm. not long ago in history of the world, was the hub of the planet. It was the center of the world, right? So it's it maybe it's ironic because you could interpret that as a French arrogance, quote unquote. You know? Absolutely, but. Right. N- not conscious it's unconscious mm. so it's in the unconscious so mm. it's bad to be arrogant mm. but we're all arrogant like Parisian people are the most arrogant assholes that I know <laughs> and me included <laughs> you know I don't, I don't I don't I don't uh, I never got that in, uh, no not anymore you're not I, I did I a lot that. of work on myself uh-huh. to realize that I was arrogant and then and that's why I tell you like eventually I got to like mm. calm down and realize I'm just I'm just a regular guy yeah. and yes I mastered juggling but that doesn't make me better more intelligent more qualified mm. to be a human being than anyone else like we're all on this together like that you know so i see myself on the same level than anyone else it's just that i have one skill that i did push so i'm a master at that but that mastery does not define my entire being right but it's it's still part of you that's something we talked about before too which is this this whole this whole um idea of mastery you know obviously you know and again that's this is cliche but you know you you're always in a pursuit of you know, mastery never ends. That's what I was yes. trained. These old Japanese guys would say, you know. Yeah. And they never, my, one of my old Japanese instructors, uh, a guy named Shojiro Sugiyama, he used to say that he, he never uh, would allow anyone to call him master, even though the guy's mm. been like, he's such a phenomenal and creative and amazing instructor. Um, wow, but that's he, deep. Yeah, he, he said, he said, besides the head of the barbershop in Tokyo is called the master. <laughs> so I don't need to be called master. And, you know, I never accepted anything like that from all wow. these years of students either. I just don't like it. I, it's like once you call yourself, a, you know, if other people want to call you that and, the, and the, they're using it as a form of, uh, of a compliment, then mm-hmm. people have a right to make a compliment right, about you. Right, but right. That's ha- that has to be something that you have earned, mm-hmm. you know. But it's but interesting. You, but if you call yourself that, right. like you know how many places I've, I walked into into this martial arts school one time, and the guy said, uh, just to look at it, because I used to, I still go around these days, just looking at schools, seeing right. how people. I'm just curious. Once getting in a while. it out. Yeah. I don't, I don't have too much to do with karate instruction these days right now because I'm focused so much on music and acting. Mm-hmm. But, but I, you know, this guy, this guy says, call me Master, whatever his name was. Here. Right. And so, and I just, I dislike the attitude so yeah. much that I, so I purpose, I didn't let him know this, but I said, okay, Mister, you know, whatever his last name was, and he goes, no, that's Master, and I go, okay, Mister, like I would wow. not, I, you know, wow. and he. You know, I just thought it was really funny because <laughs> I just... You're messing with them, yeah. Yeah, I was totally messing with them because I'm not going to call... What do you call... You know, you don't call, you know... You yourself. don't call yourself... That's like you saying, right. I am the master juggler of the yeah. world. You well, know, it's, it's, it's interesting because recently doing TEDx and different major events here around Chicago, people mm. afterwards came to me and realized... Because, mm. you know, I introduced myself like, yeah, I'm a juggler and then people 
have like a picture of like, oh, okay, a juggler, you know, in the circus, in the street, right. whatever. So right. there's this like kind of like, I'm a clown, you know, like I'm a. They, they, would, I, they I, would think that for I sure. I respect clowns. And for me, clowning is a very high form. But like right now, I'm using it in a more popular way where people. It's just when people say like, oh, what a circus. Right. To say like, what the fuck is happening here? Right. They're saying, what a circus. And it's like, uh, no, you don't understand. Right. A circus, everybody is highly skilled right. and know exactly what they're doing because if they don't do exactly what they need, they're going to die. They're going to die. They're so gonna actually, a circus is one of the higher form of like right. mastery and, and and responsibility so we're kind of like using the term mm. on the opposite side like we right. say what a circus to say like oh it's a fucking mess here right. no it's the opposite so when i say clown right now i'm using it more right. like oh it, this guy is a clown like he's he's he, he doesn't know what he's doing and so people like oh i'm a juggler and they're like oh okay and then they see me perform And then suddenly they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea juggling could be that. And so they come to me and recently they told me, like, but you're not a juggler. You're like a master juggler. And I right. and, and it makes me laugh because I'm like, no, I, I, I'm a juggler because to me, juggling, that's what juggling is right. to me in my psyche, in my right. life. But right. I understand that for other people, they don't know all that. So right. they need the master juggler To, to actually match my picture of just what is yes. what is it to be a juggler. Right. You know, that's and it's a great example of how important words are. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you refer, you know, you use one word that, you know, that can, that connotates something completely different, you know. So because they put the word master there, people think, oh, this guy must be really good. Yes. You know, that automatically. And, and so it's okay. Like, you know, I think it's okay for other people to refer to you that way. And even if you have to, in some kind of marketing context, refer to yourself as that way. Yeah. But I can't, I just, I never, I'm never. No, that's you know, very interesting. Just because I never. Um, well, because in martial arts, it is a thing to have a master. Yeah, yes, but see not how, in juggling. See you know, in juggling, it. you don't say it's my master juggler. It's just like whatever. But see in martial you, arts, it's really like it's a it's, thing. It's it's an, it comes with it. Yeah, there, there's this uh, shifu. You know, like well, so uh, shifu is yeah Chinese. Right. Yeah, your your master instructor and sensei is basically uh, you know it, it means it means technically it means teacher in Japanese. It actually interestingly enough, sen means before and sei means life. So it's really, it, the Japanese, ironically, have a very, um, almost, not arrogant, but very, you know, res highly, highly respect, respectable position for teachers. Mm. So a teacher, uh, like a, you know, a martial arts instructor to the Japanese, or any instructor, really. I was teaching in, uh, in junior college and high school in Japan for a year or two, uh, teaching English. And, and, you know, you stand on this pedestal mm. and people, like, bow to you and you walk in the, and they bow you to out of you when you walk out and it you know they it's a person a sensei to a japanese person is someone who has lived before you mm. and knows about life and that. and you don't that's the thing and that's well, you don't in that area in compared to that you know, compared like, to them yes like, you have something to learn from them but isn't this the but, truth well I mean, yeah. In that specific area. Like, for example, if I go to you and I say, I want to learn karate, we're right. not on the same level. You have no. a lifetime of karate. I'll, I don't. I have a lifetime of karate. Yes, but you, you may still say something to me that I wasn't aware of or that 
just because I, you know, you may, I may, it's still possible for me to learn. From Absolutely. You. And, you oh, know, that's, uh, I get what you're saying. So yeah. you think that they're kind of like closing the the dynamic it's of like it, you can learn both direction and it's like right. it's only in one direction there's well, one master and the student and it's only going right. in one direction no i, I agree with I, you that it, it, it i learn from my students of course yes see, all the time right yeah. you have to have if you're if you're if you're really interested in your art like how to be you know and you're always open to improving then you're going to learn from your students yeah. right i mean but that's something it's obvious for someone like you it's obvious for someone like me But what we really are talking about are these messed up dudes and ladies out there who like call themselves master mm. and now and think and they're now, just above everybody well, else. Well, just it's like that's it. Now yeah. that you're master, you're you done know, it. Everyone else that makes everyone else automatically your disciple. You know, right. your your sub. Your, you know, and maybe there's a time and place for an attitude like that if you have students who are difficult and you just have to take over and say, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, you know, and let's get, go, right. let's get back to work, you know, that kind of thing. Right. But that's not, you know, I just don't like the, uh, the, the feeling yeah, the, yeah, of yeah. arrogance behind it. And what we were talking about earlier was arrogance. So, like, you know, so I kind of try to stay, stay mm -hmm. away from it. But, yes, you know, I would certainly call some of these old uh, teachers that I've, studied under quote-unquote masters you know? yeah and again that comes back to perfectionism right they're not those guys were not perfect no you know those guys are not they're still you know, on their journey but they're so far away on their journey that they just yes so much you know that and, and i like i like the japanese approach to giving people respect who have who have dedicated themselves yeah. to their art so long Can yeah you, i mean imagine yourself like 30 years from now you know You know, you walk in the door and you're going to teach some juggling, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, and when you walk in, everybody's quiet. Oh, here he comes, right, you know, right, right. You know, I mean, imagine the amount of experience. I don't know, man. You know? I don't know if I even want to have be, that attitude, you know, it's like, well, no, that I'm may, still a dude, they, they, you know, I'm still. Uh, yeah, but that can't be, that can't be our attitude. That's just, right. gonna, that's just what other people are going to do. Like, right. you know, one of my students calls me. He does it, you know, he does it once in a while. He calls me, think, you know, master or something. And I'm like, you know, that's so uncomfortable. It's so weird. Mm. And he, he's doing it just to say, I taught him since he was like three or something like that. And he's like 20, 20 something now. And he's, and he's like, he just, he's trying to revere me. You know, he's just giving me a compliment, mm. you know, because I said something at the moment wise to him. You know, yeah, something. yeah. And, and that so, makes sense to him. And, and, and he's and like, he's oh, like, shit. Yeah. And he just wants to like, let me know that, that I he think values. Yes, that he values my instruction by doing that, you know, and it, I'm never really comfortable with it, but it, but it, if it makes it's it true good. that you know, like you need to give a way to the student to express their gratitude too. Right. So, well, that's all I'm saying. Like, you know, 30 years from now, you walk into the room, you're not walking into the room demanding that everybody stand up and and, and applaud you. Right. You know, right. Right. You're, you're just there to teach juggling. Right. Yeah, but they think, you know. They have a day, and that's how people become like iconic or legendary. Right, they just right, right. they've they've inspired accomplish a status of yeah. They've moved people emotionally. Yeah, like Muhammad Ali. Do you know who? He, you yeah, know? All right. Yeah, so yeah, he yeah. lived in my neighborhood, and I would see him occasionally. And, um, and we're here in Chicago. Yeah, he, he yeah he you know he passed away. Like, yeah, but he lived in Hyde Park. That's where I'm originally from. So uh -huh. I'd see him, and and uh, you know he moved people emotionally. Yeah. So it doesn't matter after that point where he goes in the world yeah. because people will treat him with a certain level right. of respect and they don't know anything about him. They don't right. know him at all. I can tell you personally, it turns out that he's 
just as cool as you as people think. He's That's probably nicer, right? More generous, more cool than people have ever can can, pe- can conceive. And yeah. there's things about him that I'm sure people don't like when he, you know, but he, that guy was cool. Wow. It was so nice, you know, to everybody. He didn't care what race they were or anything like that. Wow. Know? Yeah, he was just the nicest, nicest, nicest guy. But anyway, what did you? His girlfriend what lived a couple like? doors down from my where I where I grew up. Wow! So he, I'd see him all the time, and he would park visiting here. and this yeah, his girlfriend. He'd park in the no parking spot. There's nowhere else. The parking is pretty bad in Hyde Park, and he'd park in this spot. But his he had a gold Rolls Royce, and he would park in this spot across the street and stay for a couple hours and take off from from where I was playing piano. I was where, where I lived. There was a our piano was in the window, so I'd sit there and play for hours and practice and look out the window sometimes. And there's the gold Rolls Royce. I'm like, wow, it's a gold Rolls Royce. And then his, <laughs> his license plate had no numbers or letters on it. It was just two stick figures in a boxing no ring. No way. That was his license plate. I thought that was slick, you know. Wow. And he's just a, yeah, he was the nicest guy. He's the nicest guy. And his girlfriend's uh, daughter was my sister's really good friend. So mm-hmm. my sister was. They always, were around and. Yeah, oh, she wow. got to know him, and he would. She'd always he'd always box with my sister, and you know stuff like that. He was just a, he didn't. He just like he just loved he was he loved people he was all about people and, and I think the world audience knew that about him yeah so yeah, they yeah. that's why they loved him because they knew this guy was all about like entertaining people and and he you know just had a great desire to 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 uh, to make people laugh and to inspire them wow you know so I thought he was a great great dude but anyway he he's an example of someone who would never you know when he was younger he called himself he called himself the greatest I'm the greatest. But I think what he was trying for there was to to um, enhance the image of especially the black athlete in yes, America. Yes, he had a lot, he had and a he lot had, to work to with. Like, yeah, I mean, was there was a, so much negative pressure yeah, on the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a way, he's saying that about his back, but he never lived like that. Mm. I guess that's the point where this is relative mm. to this conversation because he was not, when I met him, you know, on the street one day, for example, one of the times I met him, he was. He didn't act like he was the greatest in anything, you know. Mm. And he had just won a fight. I'm like, hey, I just saw you the other night. And oh, I thought wow. you were great. You know, he goes, oh, he go, he says to me, oh yeah, thanks, man. That's what he said. He goes, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, he, he didn't he didn't say yeah yeah yeah. yeah. He, he yeah, wasn't like yeah. I am the greatest. You know, he wasn't like that at all uh. at all. So, you know, it was just a it was just an act to get to boost the confidence of probably a lot of young black athletes who you know. Maybe so actually. Okay, so you when you grew up, he was he was fighting. He was still fighting. He was he had just yeah. I mean, he was finishing up. Right he was time. finishing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. He was pretty much. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, he but yeah, he's from a lot of these uh, well-known um, uh, African American political figures and people in the media lived in Hyde Park. Like Obama, was, yeah. uh, he was a neighbor, and Jesse Jackson lived a mile away, and Louis Farrakhan. I lived down the street from him once, and. Um, yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. Of Shaka Khan. I don't know if you guys know it in France. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she went to my high school years ago. She was older than me, but you know, we had the same music teacher. Um, <laughs> a lot of these. That's uh, cool. Yeah, that was a lot of people. You know, I got out of Chicago. Chicago. Hyde Park was a weird, interesting place. It's not like Chicago at all. Wow. It's super ethnically mixed. Wow. Hyde Park is. Yeah, it's unusual. It's got the University of Chicago there and. So it's a different, different so environment. We need to go and hang out in Hyde Park. <laughs> Hyde Park is interesting. Hyde Park is cool. Um, all right. All right. Well, do you want to, shall we finish We're up? We're going to wrap it up. All right. But uh, thanks for coming. Yeah, man. It was fun.
my first podcast. Hope hope I passed the audition. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I only invite master here, so mm, we're gonna check that out. I, well, I'm fired then. I'll have to re-listen. C- Cyril's got talent. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna have to judge you pretty. Yeah. You know, just go over our go over our podcast and pick pick the select parts out and dump the rest. You know. All right. Remember, if you find this podcast valuable, please support it. Review it wherever you listen to it and share it on social media with your friends. And if you want to support it directly, go buy Juggling Props on playjuggling.com. It's, uh, oh shoot, I need to find, um, oh, wait a second. No, it's too complicated. Um, just just go in the fo- uh, f- uh, show notes and find the code for 10% off um, your order. And yeah, I'll get a commission and you'll get 10% off. So thanks for listening to the show. And remember, failure is an essential part of juggling. But failing is not the problem. The problem is not learning from your failures. So get out there. And juggle, fail, learn, repeat.